When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, everybody, welcome to the latest show. So I'm going to be reading um, an excerpt from Tony Robbins' Money Master the Game. I actually took the cover off the book I own, so that way I could just put it behind me. Mainly because that's like the one, if there's one financial book I'm always going to recommend, it's going to be that one. That's still, to this day, one of my favorites, just because it has so many giants within the industry, within the financial industry, and you can learn so much from it. It, it was one of the, honestly, still one of the most educational books I read on finance and uh, learning on how to invest, basically. It's really just a great investment book, and also it teaches you how to get in the right mindset. Um, but what I really liked in, the, uh, in this book is that towards the end of the book, he, start, he has these interviews. He kind of has some, it's not the full interview, but it's a summary of a lot of the best parts of the interview for each of these different people. And Charles Schwab is somebody I admire and has always been fascinated. I'm always been, I've always been fascinated by him, but I don't know a lot about him. And I kind of wanted to know more, but I already read this. But I read this previously when I read the whole book. Um, it's, it's seriously a good book. It's very lengthy, but it's worth it. Uh, so try to find a way to get a copy of it. I don't care how you get it. You can, you can go on the, uh, anyway, get a physical copy, get a PDF. I don't care how you do it. So this is, if anybody has the book though, it's on page 531. Um, so it's basically uh, called Chapter 6.11. Um, Charles Schwab, so I'm just going to read it kind of in an audiobook format a little bit, I guess you could say. Um, here we go. Do my best. Ah. I try my best. It's a struggle. All right. <clears throat> Charles Schwab, talking to Chuck, the people's broker, founder and chairman of Charles Schwab Corporation. You've seen the ads. A handsome, white-haired man looks directly at you through the camera and urges you to own your tomorrow. Or maybe you remember the ones where cartoon people ask questions about their investments and a balloon pops up encouraging them to talk to, talk to Chuck. That's the style of personal engagement and openness that kept Charles Schwab at the pinnacle of the discount brokerage industry for the past 40 years and has helped build a financial empire with $2.38 trillion in client assets under management. 9.3 million brokerage brokerage accounts, 1.4 million corporate retirement plan participants, 956,000 banking accounts, and and a network serving 7,000 registered investment advisors. Before Chuck Schwab came along, if you wanted to buy stocks, you had to go through a cartel of traditional brokers or brokerage firms that charged exorbitant uh, fees for every trade. But in 1975, when the Securities and Exchange Commission forced the industry to deregulate, Schwab uh, created one of the first discount brokerages and pioneered a whole new way of doing business that shook Wall Street to its core. 
He led an investor revolution where suddenly individuals could participate fully in the markets without costly middlemen. middlemen. While clubby brokerages like Merrill Lynch raised their trading fees, Charles Schwab slashed or even eliminated his fees and offered an array of no-frills services that put the client's interests first and established the model for a new industry. Later, he led the charge into electronic trading, and he continues to pioneer innovations that educate and empower investors to make their own decisions. At age 76, Charles Schwab comes across with tremendous humility and integrity. People seem to have confidence in us, he told me. We try to treat everyone with the sense that they are trustworthy and we need to take care of their assets in a very cautious way. Um, it's possible that Chuck's modesty and quiet confidence come from a life spent overcoming a series of challenges, beginning with, uh, with a struggle with dyslexia, a learning disability he shares with a surprising number of ultra-successful business leaders, from Richard Branson of the Virgin Group to John Chambers of Cisco Systems. Despite his reading difficulties, Chuck graduated from Stanford University and earned, his, and earned an MBA uh, from Stanford Business School. He launched his career in finance in 1963 uh, with an investment newsletter. Chuck embraced his status as a Wall Street outsider and planted his flag in his native California, establishing his brokerage firm in San Francisco in 1973. Since then, the Charles Schwab Corporation has ridden the wild bull and bear markets of the past four decades. Bouncing back from crashes of 1987, 2001, and 2008 that wiped out lesser firms taking on a slew of copycat companies that eroded its market share, always finding ways sorry, always finding ways to innovate and grow in every environment. Although he turned over the reins as CEO in 2008, Chuck stays active in the company as its chairman and largest single shareholder. According to Forbes, Chuck Schwab has a personal fortune of $6.4 billion. With his wife, with his wife and his daughter, uh, Carrie Schwab Palmerentz, uh, he's been incredibly involved in his family's private foundations, which support uh, entrepreneurial or organizations working in education, poverty prevention, human services, and health. He also he's also chairman of the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art. Uh, Chuck Schwab and I have Chuck Schwab and I both have crazy schedules, but we were able to meet in his San Francisco offices. Uh, just as this book was about to go to press. Here are some excerpts from the conversation. Tony Robbins. Everyone knows the name Charles Schwab. They know the institution. But most people don't really know your story. I wonder if you would just share a few thoughts, a few highlights. I understand you started becoming interested in investing as early as 13. Charles Schwab. That's right. When I was 13, it was right after World War II, and the world wasn't too rich. My dad was a small-town lawyer in California's Sacramento Valley, Valley, and certainly our family wasn't very rich. I thought I'd be better off in life if I had more money, so I had to figure out how to make money. I talked to my dad about it, uh, and he encouraged me to read biographies of the famous, pe of the famous people in America, and they all seemed to do something about investing. 
they all seemed to do something about investing. So I said, man, that's for me. So when I was 13, I started a chicken company, raised chickens and all that. And then I did a bunch of other little business kinds of things. Uh, so I knew a lot about business and started thinking about how businesses function and operate. Tony Robbins, what was your, what was your original vision? And what were, you, what were your first practical steps? Give me highlights, if you would, uh, to give people a sense of your journey. Charles Schwab, well, I was quite lucky early in the journey. I started out as a financial analyst and had some ups and downs along the way. I was about 35 and had, I had a lot of experience before I really started the company in 1973. And as a result, I knew some of the handicaps of the financial business, including why they didn't treat people well enough. It was because they were really focused on making themselves money, uh, but not on giving, sorry, not on giving, but not on giving the investor a fair shake. They always thought about their institution and making money first. I said, aha. There's going to be a different way. Put this video on pause for just a second. All right, continuing on. Let's go. Okay, so where were we? Ah. Tony Robbins, what has been the competitive advantage at Charles Schwab over the, over the years? I mean, if you look at the size of the North American investment market, I think it's about $32 trillion, and you guys have to represent a sizable amount. We're Charles Schwab, we're probably 5% to 10% of the retail market, something like that. But you know, as I got into business, I wanted to look at every product, every service that we, can, that we offer our clients through clients' eyes. We would design a product like a no-load mutual fund. We did it in a big way. Uh, we made it free for people to buy no-load funds through us years ago. People would say, well, how are you going to make money at that? So we figured out a way to make some money at it. We worked with the mutual fund companies and convinced them to pay us a little fee out of their management fees, and our clients would benefit from it. And it flourished. So the individual got a great advantage by buying a plethora of no-load mutual funds for no fee. We did the same kind of analysis along the way uh, for other things that we did. We looked, at it, we looked at it first through the client's eyes, but Wall Street did just the reverse. They always made a decision, how much money can we make on this first? Okay, let's do it. Let's go sell it, boys. That's the way they made decisions. We were completely the opposite. Tony Robbins. Has that shifted, or is it still the same? Charles Schwab. It's still the same, and that's why it's pretty interesting. That's why it's a pretty interesting market for us. You know, we have sort of an unlimited destiny, I think, to continue to treat the client as the king and make sure we do everything that's in their in their interests first. Yes, we will yes, we will make a little bit of money, which we do, of course. Uh, we're a profit-making organization, but first we think about the client. What do you th Tony Robbins, what do you think are the two or three myths that you try to point out to them to pay attention to so they don't get sucked in 
when they think about investing. Carl Schwab, well, it's so easy. I've watched it in Wall Street so many times. You see the abuses that come about. Some really fancy broker comes along and says, ma'am, would you like to make some money? Of course, we all say yes. And then you get engaged in the conversation. These guys have the best widget you've ever seen in your life. And it's going to be just like another apple. It's going to be just, be just like another apple. So we all naturally sort of listen to the story and then say, okay, I'll put some money into that. Well, the probability of that, well, the probability of that working out is about one in 10,000. It's like, why don't you just go to the horses or buy a lottery ticket that day? That'll satisfy your speculative thing. Uh, put, the real, put the real money you have into an index fund where you know the outcome is going to be highly predictable and returns will be really quite good. So many people, uh, Tony Robbins, so many people will get hurt because they don't know things and they don't ask questions. Sorry, let me reread that. So many people will get hurt because they don't know things and they don't ask questions. And you're one of the first people to say, ask questions. Charles Schwab, right? Tony Robbins, but very few people know the questions to ask, you know? You know, they see a mutual fund and they see its return and they think that's the return they receive. And as you and I both know, that's just not true. Charles Schwab, it's just not true. It's never. <laughs> anything, uh, anything of the past is never promised for the future. But there are reasons why we put out a pamphlet, a white paper on index funds. We talk about the reason why stocks are the greatest place, really, to have long-term investments. And the reason why is that companies are in business to grow. Every board I've ever been on, and I've done six or seven different Fortune 500 boards every conversation at the board meeting is about growth. How can we grow this company? If you don't know, you fire the management, get a new management team. Now that building over there is a beautiful building, but you come back 100 years from now, that building would still be the same size or be knocked down, but it didn't grow. Only companies grow. And that's why it's a fantastic thing to go to stocks. And of course, in our case, we try to encourage people to go into index funds so they can get a broad blend of industries and stocks and so forth. Then they have Tony Robbins, the lowest cost. Charles Schwab, the lowest cost. And they get a high degree of certainty that they're going to do well, do as well as the index will do. And if you look at any industries over the last 100 years, they've done extraordinarily well over time and brought great returns to clients. Tony Robbins, if you listen to Vanguard's Jack Bogle or somebody like David Swenson from Yale, they all say passive management is the way to go. Because 96% of all mutual funds do not match the index over a 10-year period of time. But how do you feel uh, for the average investor, passive versus active? Charles Schwab. Well, I'm a mixed investor. I invest a lot uh, in a lot of individual stocks, but I have the time, the expertise. I have the expertise. I have the education. But 98% of people don't focus on that. They have other things in life to do. But rather than fuss around about, 
fuss around with investments as I have done, or Warren Buffett has, you know, they are professionals and they are doctors or lawyers. They're whatever we need all of those people. Sorry, they're whatever. We need all those people to make a successful society. And maybe 2% of us really know about investing. So the rest of the people need some help and advice. That's what I learned early on. And that's what we do today. And the 98% should really predominantly go into index funds, in my view. They have the most predictable outcomes, better than, better than they would ever do by trying to pick different things, which is very difficult to do. And then, and then do, the, and do their job too. You can't do both. <clears throat> Tony Robbins. The other part... The other part is people just don't realize what the cost is. As Jack Bogle points out, for every 1% over the lifetime of investing, it's 20% of your money you're giving up. Carl Schwab, yeah, it's over. Tony Robbins, give up 2%, that's 40%. Give up 3%, that's 60%. Charles Schwab, that's a whole lot. And on an after-tax basis, it really mounts up. Tony Robbins, every major investor that I spoke, spoke to talks of the fact that asset allocation is the single most important investment decision a person can make. You deal with so many different types of investors. What philosophy do you try to have your team apply to help people understand what their asset allocation should be? Charles Schwab, well, it's actually pretty easy today. It's true. It, it, it wasn't that true 40 years ago. Now we have index funds that we that we mentioned and ETFs so you can get a different so you can get different slices of the market so you can have plenty of diversification. You want energy stocks? You can get uh, you can get an energy ETF. You want medical devices? You can do that. You could do that. And of course, I tend to believe you should Sorry, I tend to believe you should be diversified among the very biggest and 10 biggest industry groupings. And that's what and that's what you generally get in a general index fund. You get all of them because you never know. Sometimes electronic equipment will be going zooming right up. Oil might not be doing so well, but next year oil is in demand, so oil prices are going up. And that does well and so on, and so forth. But it, allows, <clears throat> but it allows you to get the balance of the benefits of each of those sectors. How do you feel about investing in, Tony Robbins, how do you feel about investing in America versus international when you're trying to create that asset allocation? That's another level of sophistication. Sorry, Charles Schwab says, that's another level of sophistication, which I think, think everybody should have in their portfolio some chunk de devoted to international international because the very simple fact is america is growing at about two percent to three percent per annum now there are many other countries that are beginning to from china to indonesia to japan have better growth in america so that's where you're gonna get your returns where there's better growth frankly but even though the American economy is only growing 2%, there are some parts of our economy that are really growing quite fast. So obviously, you want to be attracted to them too. 
Tony Robbins, where do you see the world going in the next 10 years? What do you think those opportunities and challenges are for investors? Carl Schwab, I think there are enormous opportunities ahead of us still, despite, despite how slow things are going right now. It'll explode once we get the kind of policies I think we'll eventually get, get back in. Because there's no way you're going to take you're going to take the growth component out of America. The innovation going on in this country is profound. I mean, I live in the San Francisco area where it's just going, busting at, at the seams wherever you walk. It's there. Tony Robbins, are we in a market bubble with the Fed controlling rates the way they are? Where? Where? Where, where you would take I can't read. <laughs> Sorry. Where you would have to take significant risk to see rewards. The market seems to be the only place for the money to go. How long does that last? Charles Schwab. Well, I'm not a great fan of the present policy of the Federal Reserve. I think manipulating rates as long as they have is really not the right decision. And I guess it does create the potential and the possibility of some kind of bubble. It won't be forever. We will probably pay a price for it, but it's not a permanent issue. And so there will be high inflation or down markets, uh, be some high inflation or down markets. There will be consequences for what we're doing now, but we'll get through it. And as we do every time, there, there are bad decisions made by policymakers. Tony Robbins. They all have a different language for it, but for every single major investor in the world, one of their competitive advantages is, asymmet is asymmetric risk and reward. They take a little risk to try to get a big reward. How does the average investor do that today? Is there any insight you can give them? Charles Schwab. Well, I think it's all coming back to the answer. Where can you get the best growth? Understanding the fundamentals of growth is crucially important to get long-term returns. Now, in the case of Warren Buffett, he learned at a young, at a young age, he just, buys, he just buys companies and he never sells. Why? Companies keep growing and they just keep growing and he gets richer and richer. Tony Robbins, he doesn't pay taxes? He doesn't pay taxes. Uh, CS. Charles Schwab. And he doesn't pay taxes. If you don't sell, you don't pay taxes. Tony Robbins, that's pretty awesome. Charles Schwab, that's his mystery. The myth has been solved. He doesn't sell. Tony Robbins, I believe you have five children. Uh, Charles Schwab, uh, and 12 grandkids. Tony Robbins, 12 grandkids. Tell me, if you, could leave, if you could leave none of your money to your children, but you could leave only a set of investment principles and maybe a portfolio, what would... What would be, sorry, what would be your advice to them? Charles Schwab, well, I think it really starts with earning your own money, having success in that, and the concept of putting some money aside. Make sure you get the right education and hopefully it fits into the marketplace where jobs are being created. You've got to have a well-paying job, which, you, which are not that plentiful today. And then, and then putting the money aside in your 401k or IRA, it get, 
it takes giving up things, not buying that car, giving up that vacation, having something set aside. And then you could begin doing the proper investing. It's all, it's all a pretty, it's a pretty simple formula. Lots of people don't realize it, but hopefully you can teach people to do that. Tony Robbins, hopefully I can. Charles Schwab, you know, I believe in leaving something, making sure the kids are educated but not sizable sums of money. Don't take away their sense of their own opportunity, their own ego development, their own kinds of things that will fulfill them. You really have to be, you have to be a really curious person. Make sure every one of your kids is really curious. And, it, it, and it's not necessarily about making money. Having come from a background of no money and no wealth, I clearly know the difference. And of course, in the last 20 years, I've had the benefit of success, which allows me incredible choices for my wife and me. We take a vacation without worrying about the cost of it, having a good time. I enjoy my sports. I love my golf. And it does, and it goes on and on and on. And so we want to uh, perpetuate the success. We want our next generations to have what we had and then some. Uh, you've dealt with many successful people. Um, you've studied successful companies. Uh, sorry, this is Tony Robbins talking. You've studied successful companies and individuals who drive their growth. Um, drive their growth. What do you think is the single most important factor? Charles Schwab. You know, maybe it's 99% necessity, but lots of people out there in the world really do need more resources but they don't have the education. Somehow they didn't have the motivation. Maybe they didn't sense opportunity in front of them. How to, per, how to perceive the opportunity that is right there. You look around at these other guys who have been successful and you think, I can do that too. How do you sense that? I don't know. Tony Robbins, you're 76 now and you didn't find out you were dyslexic until you were in your 40s, right? Right. Charles Schwab, right. Tony Robbins, a lot of people think that of that as a limit on your life. How come it has never, how come it was never a limit to you? Charles Schwab, maybe thank God that I didn't know. Sorry. Maybe thank God that I didn't know when I was a kid, but my son was just starting school when we took him for test took him for testing and found out he was dyslexic. I said, oh my God, all the things that I had to deal with at age seven, eight, and nine, he's dealing with now. And it was very clear that I was also dyslexic. So I solved a lot of my issues when I thought back about my early schooling. The alphabet was impossible for me. My reading, even to this day, I don't read novels. I read nothing but nonfiction. Tony Robbins, wow. So what allowed you to succeed in the financial business then? Well, I was pretty good at math. Uh, so this is Charles Schwab. Well, I was pretty good at math, and I was pretty good with people. I wasn't a great writer, but I had people around me who, who were great writers. So you learn very quickly. You can't do it all yourself. You need to have people around you who are better than you at most other things, but you have to be able to inspire the people around you to work together for uh, for whatever your common purpose is. And that's what I've been able to do all these years. Tony, Robin, Tony Robbins, what's your passion? 
Charles Schwab, I'm totally passionate about the necessity for people to earn and save and grow because of the responsibility we all have for our own retirements. And goodness gracious, we're going to live, you know, (laughs) and goodness gracious, we're going to live, you know. I am in my 70s, but the probability now is living to 90, 95. It's a long time to, to be in retirement. And so you've got to put aside a lot of assets, I think, in order to live comfor- comfortably. Tony Robbins, people I, talked, people I talked to who knew you 20 years ago say your passion is as great, as, as great or greater than it ever was. Charles Schwab, probably greater. Uh, Tony Robbins, wow, why is that? How have you maintained that? How, how has that continued to expand? Charles Schwab, well, I have seen, for instance, what you can do with philanthropy and how you can really help people by being successful. Well, I couldn't do it if I was not successful. I wouldn't have the resources to do it with, but I can make things happen in different ways. Whether it's issues around dyslexia, I can help kids. Or in charter schools, we can help kids. Um, Or if it's in museums, help build better and bigger places for people to come and see and view art. It's a long read. Anyway, I think one of... Trying to get through this here. I think one of the greatest fulfillments of achieving great success is being able to, in your lifetime, give back to things that is give back to things that it really enhances many, many times. You know what people can really enjoy and yourself. Um, Tony Robbins, if someone was starting out brand new, what would be the what would be the advantage you would try to give them looking to start a business? How do you How do you go from the vision of a young man that you were who said, I want to really help people look out for the customer. I want to really help people look out for the customer. To building a multi-trillion dollar business, what would you tell people? What would you tell people they should really focus on? Charles Schwab, well, getting all the education and practical experience and then having the patience to do it to do it day in and day out, day in and day out. It's not easy. Let me tell you that. It's like a restaurateur serving great food every meal. It's not easy. But that's how you make a great restaurant. That's how you make a great car dealer. Service every day. You can't miss the ball. You've got to hit the ball out of the park every day with service. And the same with technology. In our, in our lifetime, we've seen many companies go in the tank because they weren't able to innovate or actually they didn't figure out a product or service that really served the customer well. They, they lost their customer. Never lose a customer. Figure that one out. <laughs> Tony Robbins, last question. I'm sure it will be 20 to 30 years from now because you're... Because you're taking care of yourself and your health, and you're so passionate. But how do you want to be remembered? What's your legacy? What's your legacy for you and what you've built over this lifetime? Charles Schwab. Well, I have a variety of them. 
of course, for my family and so forth. In terms of the professional side, I feel really proud about the fact that I really made a huge change in the in a huge change to the practice of Wall Street. This is an institution that's been around for a couple hundred years, and we and we this little company on the West Coast took them on in different ways and really made a change in the character of how they treat clients. And they're doing a much better job. Not as good as we are, but they're doing a much better job and are much more thoughtful about how they treat their clients. Tony Robbins, you led by example. Charles Schwab, thanks very much. Tony Robbins, blessings to you. Thank you for your time. So, I'm a big fan of Charles Schwab in general. Um, I wanted to read that one for you. That was a messy uh, read through, but I had to. I, I felt like I just had to read it because it. I want to get people to to get this book, Money Master the Game. I don't care how you get it. I don't care if you. I don't care how you find it. It's one of the best books you could ever read. Anyway, I'm going to cut this episode to the end. Uh, let me know how you guys what you guys thought of it. Um, what you guys think of Charles Schwab? Sorry, the read through was so sloppy. Um, but thank you guys for taking the time and have an incredible day. Bye.